Well, we all know what that sound means, don't we, boys and girls? Yes, that's right. It means you're in the cool room, the temple of online craft beer tasting and chat. Uh, and how appropriate today that for episode 122, we're joined by James from Temple Brewing in Brunswick, Melbourne, Australia. Uh, we're going to have a great chat very soon, uh, get some great insights to the beers that James makes and the story behind Temple, which is a story that's been around for a while now, so there's plenty of insights to, uh, plenty of insights to share. Uh, unfortunately, all of the tasting packs for tonight's episode have sold out, uh, which is good news from a financial point of view for the cool room, uh, but it does mean that you won't be able to taste them as you uh, sip along, as you listen along, unless you've already ordered the pack. Uh, a great reason to be a subscriber to our monthly packs. Uh, in March, we have some great breweries coming up. Uh, included in our monthly pack are 12 great beers from Molly Rose, beers from Fury and Son, and beers from Embolden from San Diego in the US. Uh, we've got three fun events with them. Uh, it's going to be an awesome time, and we're also going to have a very special event with Nernia Err. Uh, all of these kinds of details you will find on our Facebook and Instagram. Uh, you'll find the beers when they're available in our Shopify, which if you just search Cool Room Podcast Shopify, you'll be able to track down. Uh, and finally, and perhaps most importantly, if you subscribe to our email, you can do that by sending me an email at coolroompodcast at gmail.com. We can make sure that you never miss out on any of the important and exciting news that comes from Cool Room Land. Okie dokie, that I think is all of the notifications and notices we need before we get underway with today's chat. Well, let's get underway then with James from Temple Brewing. James, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure, mate. We've got an awesome lineup from Temple in our tasting packs this month. Uh, I think there's 11 different beers. The uh, logistics gnomes from the cool room uh, made a few mistakes along the way, but that's excellent news for everyone who ordered the pack uh, because that means they've got a huge array of your beers in front of them. Um, we're going to go a bit old school to kick off with. We're going to kick off with the bicycle beer, but before we talk about the tasting of that, can you just give us a little picture, particularly for interstate and overseas uh, listeners, of whom we've got a number? Hello, Norway. Uh, just a little picture of where the brewery is uh, and what sort of part of the world you, uh, the, the tap room and everything's in. So, yeah, so we're just in Brunswick East, um, just in the inner northern suburbs of Melbourne itself. We're just off Ligon Street. Um, so that kind of like busy little hub we've got um, in there. We're just off there. We've got a nice, uh, nice big brewery out the back. And then in the front, we've got our bar and restaurant, a nice big beer garden as well, which is really nice in these warm summer days we're having at the moment. And so, you know, Brunswick, a few, you know, 20 or 30 years ago would have been the place where Italian and Greek migrants and others moved to, but it's really sort of become hipster central over the last 10, 20 years. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. It's too expensive to buy a house there, man. This is, become, this yeah. is very true. Yeah. Well, there's very not many places in the city that, that it is cheap to buy a house anymore. So <laughs> particularly if it's Brunswick East, but yeah. 
That's it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's good. It's got a got a really nice vibe and, and buzz to the to the suburb. There's there's lots going on. It's got a bit of yeah, bit of everything going on. Um, it's nice parks as well. If you do want to bring a six pack and sit in the sun in the park, there's plenty of them around. So yeah, it's not a bad little part of Melbourne. And we're going to kick off. The reason why we chose this beer to have up front is so we can talk about the history of the brewery a bit. Mm. But it's also worth saying, how long have you been with the brewery out of its long by Melbourne Craft Beer Standards history? Yeah, so Temple's been around since uh, around 2011. Um, I joined the team in the middle of 2018, so three and a bit years now for me. So I'm relatively young in the in the Temple history. Um, but it's been, yeah, kind of like a, one of the early founders of craft beer in, in Melbourne. Mm. Um, and Bicycle Beer was one of, not quite the first, but it was one of their, their early releases. Uh, and it's kind of been here to stay ever since because it's always had that following and that, I think, being Brunswick East as well, and there's a lot of, yeah, like you say, hipsters and cyclists around and kind of being called Bicycle Beer kind of lends nicely to the to the neighbourhood as well. I was saying before we started recording that I reckon this was one of the very first craft beers that I ever brought into the Flemkin Bowls Club many, many moons ago. Um, why don't you take us on a little tasting tour on, you've, I can see you've got that one in your hand at the moment. Just talk us through, you know, both the intention behind the beer, but also the flavours we should be getting as we sip on it. Yeah. So the intention is for basically, yeah, a nice, crisp, refreshing beer that will is light enough and easy enough to drink that you can get back on your bike afterwards. Um, and so at sitting at like 4.2%, it's very easy to drink, very approachable. Um, it's changed a little bit over the last... 10 years or so, um, yeah, that's, that's, times and tastes mm, have changed. Talk, talk us through a little bit about that because over time, you know, originally it was quite a distinctive uh, beer that stood out in the market just in terms of the way it was brewed. How much do you know about the history of it and where is it up to now? Yeah, I've definitely had a flick through all the older brew logs from, from back in the day. Um, so it's, it's kind of, it's become a little bit more simpler and, a bit more approachable. Um, it used to have a still a very still always sat around the, the four point two percent mark, um, but it did have a slightly more complex malt bill um, and a little bit more of like a an earthy noble hop character to it. Um, and as kind of yeah, trends have changed and people want slightly lighter, crisper beers and a bit more kind of like a fresh. Um, hop character um, this beer has evolved with it now so I believe there used to be about six different malts in, in there mm. down to, it's down to three now so it's a relatively simple malt bill um, of just pale Vienna and a bit of wheat um, and the hops yeah again there used to be quite a few different hops and it's now kind of trended more towards that slightly floral citrusy um, aroma and flavor um, we use a, a trio of Azaka, Mosaic, and um, Citra in this one. So it gives it yeah, this nice kind of, yeah, very fresh floral, uh, slightly fruity note, but it's designed to be very easy drinking and approachable. Um, that kind of, yeah, 
sit in the sun, smash a pine. You can easily jump back on your bike or after you cut the grass and you deserve a nice beer or a beer whilst you cut the grass. This is a yeah, very easy one to. Absolutely right. And, and those flavours are, are coming through well and truly there. Um, it's fantastic to sort of be able to go back and revisit some of these beers. Uh, the Anytime's probably the, the other one that sort of people will remember from the very early days of the brewery, and that's in the pack as well tonight, I think. Mm. So I presume that's changed a little bit over time as well along the way. Yep. Yeah, a little bit. Um, and, yeah, another thing with the bicycle is it kind of – We've got it to finish a little bit drier now than it than it used to back in its original inception, um, just because we want that kind of yeah, crisp, refreshing um, note to it. So it kind of, I don't know if there are any homebrewers or beer nerds, it finishes around 10.07 or 10.08. Um, so it is quite a quite a dry pale, but it kind of, yeah. Rest, rest yes. assured there are beer nerds and homebrewers on, <laughs> uh, both in the Zoom room now and uh, on the podcast, uh, listening in later on. Um, they are our prime audience. So a shout out to all of those people. Because, um, yeah, we want to have that yeah, real kind of dry finish and that kind of, yeah, thirst quenching note to the beer itself. As a, a few people sort of noted earlier on as we were getting ready to record, it's the, uh, the perfect beer for a late summer evening uh, here in Melbourne, Australia. It just seems to, to match perfectly with what we're, where we're at at the moment in terms of weather and so forth. Yeah, um, um, yeah it's kind of, it's, it's always had its following and it's, it's definitely one of our, our biggest sellers and has been my whole time at Temple. Um, and I believe it has been prior to that as well. It's always been kind of, Temple's flagship beer and has always been the one that we we always make the most of that one and just constantly constantly being churned out which is good one of the reasons we got you on the show tonight in fact probably the, the main reason why we thought now would be an appropriate time was because you guys have undergone a massive rebrand and we'll talk more about your personal journey to the brewery we'll talk more about brewing techniques and so forth but Really, we can't, we can't avoid the uh, the awesome new labels that you've got, um, and we love to have those kind of discussions here. So, you were obviously around for that decision to change the labelling. Talk us through that, and particularly making a decision as momentous as that during you know the last couple of years with COVID and everything else. Yeah, so we we kind of started the thought process behind it was in the transition when we were moving from packaging in bottles to packaging in cans um, because we kind of we were doing one one beer at a time in cans as they were coming out being released and so we're kind of designing labels based on bottles but slightly tweaked for the shape of the cans and whatever and they started to look a little bit disjointed and a little bit dated and so we decided let's have a big refresh and come out new and exciting again um, and the, we did this in June of last year which was when we thought that the pandemic was maybe <laughs> going to be over so we were going to be we coming out of this we all um, did yes, um, with a nice new label and, hey yeah congratulations we've, we've come through this pandemic and now let's uh, yeah here we are but still that but we're still fresh now um, so we kind of like spent a lot of time as we do anyway in bottle shops and looking at 
what's in, on shelves and what stands out and what doesn't stand out. Um, and what we kind of all came to was that there is a big sea of colour in bottle shop fridges on all the cans, uh, which kind of swayed our decision to have that more of a minimalist, minimalistic design with that big white background and then just that kind of simple splash of colour for each different brand and that the kind of identifying feature. Um, so with the bicycle beer, yeah, we've got um, this hand-sketched bicycle with a small splash of blue, which bicycle beer has always had a blue label, so it's recognisable and identifiable as what it used to be. Um, and, yeah, we kind of decided that less is more in our case, and now we have a yeah really fresh lineup, and it's all very consistent across the board. Um, and we've got a really great designer, Ray, who does all of our labels and marketing, and he does all these all these sketches by hand himself. Um, so we can literally, whatever we want to do for any special releases or um, any future beers that might come into our core range, we can get him to to draw something up. And uh, yeah, he's very good and very creative. And, James, and, uh, do you have? Do you, sorry to interrupt. Do you have a favourite label? Do you have one that stands out that you that really draws your attention? Uh, for me, it would be the our stout, the New World Order. Um, I really like the the splash of the orange, but then the the actual eye and the triangle and the all the hidden messages that that <laughs> that brings forward. But uh, yeah, it's a, a pretty fun label, and once you kind of lock eye contact with that one, it kind of keeps keeps drawing you in. Yeah, cool. Totally. And, and so you guys must have there then had a really big say in sort of how that whole process worked. It sounds like a team decision rather than just yeah. the marketing people going off and sitting in a room at the back with design people, which happens at other breweries, we know. Yeah. I mean, the good thing about Temple is we are a relatively small and mobile brewery. Um, we don't have a huge amount of staff for the, the size that we do so we, we do work really well as a team and kind of come together and make decisions that we all agree on and um it means that we're all pulling in the right direction which is very important for any business um so yeah it's really really great that everybody can kind of have their say and have their input it's all it's all valid because we are are such a small team that every voice counts and I guess it's just sort of interesting, you know, for people who are outside the industry to sort of hear that that's how it sort of works, you know, particularly we've heard from other breweries where, you know, it's very much a pack the beer and you don't know what label will come onto it once the uh, <laughs> once the marketing team have done their work. But it's interesting to hear that's not the case with you guys. So, Yeah, we'll, we'll sit down and um, like with any of our special releases, we'll sit down with marketing and with sales and one if sales team are happy to create our weird or to sell our weird creations um, and then we'll chat with marketing and be like, these are kind of the flavor profiles we're looking at. And these are some initial weird ideas we've got for a label. And then, yeah, he puts it all into place and yeah, it's good. And I think the other thing, for, particularly for people who've got the tasting packs, but even just people who look up your know, labels online is, that real ethos that you touched on, you know, at the very beginning about trying to represent Brunswick and the local area. So there's some cam art in there that's very specific about that, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, that's part of 
I mean, we have on all of our cans and part of our, our ethos is that we are proudly made and handcrafted in Brunswick East. And part of their kind of, yeah, the, the sketchy, hand-drawn part of the label is because street art is quite a big part of Brunswick and Brunswick East. And so we kind of, yeah, really want to tie down to where we are and where we came from. And you've got trams on the label, so no one could be under any sort of illusions about, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, every form of transport that good Melburnians should be taking to your brewery is represented on a label somewhere. So, Absolutely. Bicycle, if you just want to you know, have one or two and it's safe to ride home, otherwise take the track. That's exactly where I was going. It's, a, it's exactly right. Uh, in a second, I'm going to hope a hand over to Warren, who's going to get us underway on the, on the Okinawa. But I guess I just wanted to ask you sort of a, a bit of a personal question about what it's like to come into a brewery after it's been established, you know, for a relatively long period of time, particularly by Australian standards, and inherit recipes like like the ones that we're just having. Um, is there a sense of responsibility or is there a sense of how can I make it my own and, and change it up a bit, you know, with your role um, at the head of the production? Uh, there's definitely a bit of both, really. So uh, I came in just from... Uh, homebrew bracket so for me I was super excited and keen to to get on the tools and start making some beers professionally um, and there was yeah a real sense of doing the the brand and the beers themselves proud making sure they're as, as true to style as possible um, and just the yeah the aspect of jumping straight into a production kind of environment and getting used to that was was really a lot of fun I really enjoyed it and now over myself and the previous uh, head brewers there's always has to be a sense of is this beer kind of still relevant or what can we do to tweak it to make it better than it was but without changing the beer itself um, and that is probably the most challenging point of things uh, which for the bicycle itself it's still, even though it's got undergone quite a few changes in its 10-year history, it still needs to be recognisable as bicycle beer. Um, otherwise, you're just creating something new and, you know, it's, you're kind of lying to people if you put bicycle beer on the yeah. label. Um, so that's, that's a really interesting challenge is keeping the beer the same but updating and modernising it, moving with the times. Um, but... On the other side, making and creating recipes um, on our little pilot system to test before we put them out into the real world as special releases. That's that's where I get most of my kind of creative juices um, flowing and released into that. So there's less of a desire to tinker with the existing beers, also because I like all of our existing beers as well. So I don't feel the need to really change them, which I think is quite important. I'm happy with how they are and, and how they're tasting. So there's not really a, oh, I wish this tasted like this or I wish this tasted like that. Um, it might be, yeah, like a mi minor tweak as slowly tastes and trends evolve, um, bringing in slightly more modern or fresher hops over time. But that's, that's, the that's bit a very that, That's the bit that sort of stands out to me. Sorry to cut across you there, but the, the, the hops you're brewing with are all, you know, pretty modern hops if I can you know in terms of ones that when the brewery opened probably weren't going to be around particularly the ones we're talking about tonight 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's, but it's, I mean, with the jumping back to the bicycle, yes, they are relatively modern hops, but they do offer similar characteristics to the previous older style hops, um, but in a more of a modern updated direction. So bicycle always did have a, a slightly citrusy floral note, but it did have more of that kind of like spicy earthy background to it. And so those hops have slowly been migrated into the, the new world hops that um, people look for these days and is more relevant. Yeah, that makes that makes total sense. Um, Mr. Warren Wu, do you feel mm-hmm. like taking over the steering wheel of the ship and moving us on to the Okinawa Sour? Yeah, um, I think I might start by asking, what is a shikawaza? Yeah, it's great. What is one of those? Uh, So it's a Japanese line. Okay. um, And they grow on the island of Okinawa in Japan, Mm -hmm. which is why this is called the Okinawa Sour. Um, And so it's kind of like a... The easiest way to describe it is a cross between a a lemon and a lime. Um, So it kind of has that zesty, sharp tartness of a lemon, but then also those slightly sweeter notes of a lime as well. So it's kind of, yeah, a bit of a cross between the two. And where do you find one to then decide <laughs> to put it into a into a, a beer? So we have a, a really great contact with some exporters in Okinawa itself, mm-hmm. um, and they send us the juice. We normally get two shipments a year, and that kind of ties us over. Um, so yeah, we get the the juice directly from Okinawa itself because yeah, it's a very very rare plant. As far as I know, it's not grown anywhere else in the world. Wow. Um, so yeah, it's quite exclusive, and we're one of the very few people in Australia that actually gets the juice itself. Yeah, incredible. So yeah, tell us about and then and then tell us what it does with the beer. Like, what's what's the idea? How do you um, you know, I suppose take us on a bit of a tasting tour of, of this really fascinating beer. Yeah, so it's very, this is kind of like a very approachable, easy drinking, smashable sour. Um, mm-hmm. It's not too tart. It's not too puckering like some some sour beers are there. It's very approachable in that respect. Um, and then the, yeah, the shikawasa juice itself just adds this really nice, bright, zesty, um, kind of juicy note to it that, is yeah just super refreshing and delicious um and then again it finishes really dry and leaves you basically wanting to have another sip <laughs> over and over again um perfect on a this is one of my favorite knockoff beers on a on a friday when the sun's shining it's out in the beer garden and grab one of these it's uh goes down really well after a day in the brewery. oh i could imagine yeah you could i could definitely imagine so so why why this obscure fruit from Okinawa? Like you could have just used a lemon or a lime, but no, uh, yeah. We could have, um, we could have, and then we could have also gone for yuzu, which is oh, yeah. still quite an exotic fruit, but and more easily accessible. But mm. there was something about the actual shikawasa itself that, even though it's it's quite a simple fruit, but there's a lot more depth of flavour compared to just a lemon or just a lime, but 
while still being very easy and simple to drink, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so were you around when the brewery came up with this recipe? or is it, so it had just been um, brewed a few times, or for about a year before I started, yeah. 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 Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, it's more complex fruit whilst being simple at the same time, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so it's very, yeah, very easy drinking. Um, it starts off basically in a, a Berliner Weiss base. Mm -hmm. um, so a bunch of pale and then some uh, rolled and some malted wheat. And then on day two of fermentation, um, generally, depending on attenuation, is when we'll add in the, the juice. Um, so once the yeast has kind of done most of the work, then we give it another little sugar hit. Um, with the juice and it just churns through um, all the fermentable sugars left in the malt and the and the juice and it yeah, finishes real nice and dry and crisp and yeah delicious in, in one sense you've sort of answered the question I was about to ask which is uh, again around <laughs> advice for home brewers for, for tackling beers like this mm -hmm. not necessarily with such an exotic ingredient but do you think that sort of citrusy sours are something that the average home brewer could attempt or and are there any particular tips you'd give for people who were considering taking on brewing beers like this because from to the outsider it seems like a pretty tricky assignment yeah it's uh i'd say it's pretty achievable for for most home brewers um so we start yeah, with a berliner vice base um we kettle sour with pure strain of lactobacillus um and then normally at around 55% attenuation is when we'll add in our juice. Um, so that means that the yeast has done most of the hard work of multiplying and it's getting through a lot of all the, the malt um, sugars that have been, that we've created from the, the mashing process. And then we're kind of giving it another little boost with the, the natural sugars from the juice. Um, I guess the one thing to think about with citrus um, over other fruits is just to be mindful of your pH um, when brewing because yeah the, the citrus note can give if your if your yeast is not used to fermenting at lower pHs it can have a, an extra bit of a shock um, mm. to the system um, compared to say raspberries or strawberries or blackberries and that kind of stuff where the, the pH is a little bit higher than, than lemon lime or shigawasa. So as long as you've got a, a yeast strain that's tolerant to, to the lower pHs, then, um, yeah, easy to go. But, um, yeah, you want to make sure that your, your yeast is in, in full flow and healthy before you, you add in the juice. Otherwise, it'll just attack those simple sugars in the juice and then um, forget about all the, all the sugars that you've created. So yeah. you'll end up with a quite a high attenuated beer. Yeah. Well, that's a good tip. That's fascinating too. Um, so let's say let's say you've got this um, this ingredient which only comes from an island in Japan, and something happens like I don't know a pandemic. And <laughs> how does sourcing that said rare fruit from an island in Japan go when there is a pandemic going on? Uh, yeah, it makes life uh, quite a bit harder. So we, yeah, we've kind of 
we normally have a pretty quick turnaround with these guys because everything is is normal and it's quick and easy but uh yeah we've been we pretty much tripled our, our kind of lead time um to when we think we'll need the the fresh juice we'll just kind of yeah triple everything because um yeah shipping around the world and customs is all taken customs is always the kicker isn't it we notice that even just with importing beers that you know it's one thing for it to land in the country on a friday but that doesn't mean you get it the next monday it can be sitting there <laughs> for a pretty long period of time out on a dock somewhere absolutely yeah um yeah because they're all the all the ports have just been absolutely backed up with containers and there's not enough staff to unload them so it's just containers just filling the docks so yeah we've been uh it's been a bit of a challenge luckily so far we haven't run out we've been down to our last batches worth of juice before the next one turns up so it's it's been pretty close but we haven't we haven't run out just yet um when you started home brewing did you imagine you'd be brewing with uh like with shigazawa <laughs> or yeah what's the uh, weird you, yeah. um, <laughs> you don't realize what you just said warren <laughs> yeah i have no idea what i just said i'm gonna butcher that every single time i say it i'm gonna just celebrate that um no i had uh i mean yeah i'd never heard of it until um i moved to melbourne and, and came across the okinawa i'd never heard of the fruit itself mm. um i played around with some of the the standard stuff um so like some raspberries and some cocoa nibs but nothing nothing too crazy because i've just you know brewing in a small little spot in my backyard yeah um so yeah it's pretty ridiculous to think that if we're doing it and it's kind of seen as the norm now in the industry mm. to you know what can you put in a beer to make it interesting and weird and different that no one's ever come across before yeah there's and it's not just it's not just random ingredients now it's like what kind of style can we make that nobody's ever done before mm. uh, which is why i kind of love gaps so much um it's because you get to try some really weird and wonderful things um some things work some don't what what <laughs> what, what hasn't worked we we yeah you can't get away with <laughs> what 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 has completely <laughs> shat itself <laughs> um luckily nothing too much for us yeah. um we've played around with we did an uh, event with oriental tea house for good beer week last year oh, yeah. um where we made like four different beers with tea with like four of their different teas um and so i had a big kind of experimental period where i got them to deliver 12 or 14 different teas and i was chucking them in random different beers and yeah some of them were just not, not as good cool. as others not <laughs> <laughs> yes let's let's say not as good as others um just the yeah the, the perceived balance of flavors that you think would work something in the chemistry just completely freaky and wasn't wasn't happy at all so um but that was yeah that was a pretty fun learning experience did, did you learn something about brewing with tea in that experience like what what would be your one takeaway with brewing with tea in that? Uh, generally it would be the um when you add in the tea during mm -hmm. the process um so the natural kind of tannins in tea can be 
quite harsh and finished product. Um, so I played around a lot with when do I add the tea in? So do I add it in to like the last two minutes of the boil, add it in the whirlpool, do I cold steep it? Do I make a tea and then add it into the beer later? Um, and I found that any tea added kind of hot side was always too bitter and there was always too much tannin um, coming through into the final product. Um, and I found that sitting, steeping the beer cold either for the last few days of fermentation and then during that kind of cold conditioning period was, was really good. Um, or if you have the facilities to make a sterile tea and then kind of blend that in post um, fermentation, that, that works quite well. Um, but it also depends on what you're looking to get from your tea, whether you're looking for kind of like that more perfume D and slightly more tannin L grain notes um, in an IPA, for example, or we just released a, or just in back in December, we released a raspberry and lime tea um, sour. And so it was very like vibrant and fruity. And we actually found that adding that in, um, basically casting out onto the tea. So yep. at, at day zero, um, that was where we got the, the best expression of, of tea and raspberry and fruit flavors from that brew. Um, so just a reminder for our audience that if you're in the cool room, you get to ask questions, uh, which is really great. And Corey's asked a question, and this isn't for you to actually answer, but his question is, do you jiggle or do you dangle? And, and that might be, I don't know whether you're in the country when that was an important question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is that related to my tea bags or? <laughs> well, yeah, we'd, we'd, we'd assume so. Um <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> well, can, can I, before we move to, can I, I just would like to go back a, a minute or two and just sort of ask about that pressure, I guess, for new styles and so forth and how you as a brewer feel about that sort of always something new and quite different as opposed to playing with and refining styles that you like. Is there, is there, are there times where you go, I don't want to have to make a new Gab's beer and something really weird. What I want to do is play with two or three stouts for winter or something like that maybe uh no i don't think there's ever a time when i've thought i don't want to make something new um it's more a case of controlling and releasing the right amount of new things throughout the year um for temple so we kind of yeah we we like to do between between six and nine kind of like special releases throughout the year and that's enough to um keep us mostly happy, um, but then also gives us time to keep turning out all of our core range beers. Um, but we do, um, like I mentioned, we've got our little pilot system, so we'll make single kegs of random stuff that we'll chuck on at the bar. And so that might last a weekend at the bar and get some feedback from the, from the bar staff and see how it went down. And then that can either stem future ideas into um, special releases or ones to to keep in our back pocket for for, for later <laughs> we'll get on to the bar in a little bit but um i guess we're interested to sort of hear you know following up from warren's question about the uh you know Big did you imagine making this kind of beer when you started out mm. what kinds of beers were you making when you were starting out just as a home brewer yeah for me pretty simple um when i first started so i started out with the classic sierra nevada pale ale clone as 
quite a lot of brewers do. Um, so that, and then moving on to yeah, more hoppier IPAs, um, and then tried a couple of couple of stouts and a couple of barley wines and things like that, where I aged some on some some oak chips and see how they turned out in a couple of years' time. But yeah, it was generally um, pales and IPAs was what, what I kind of first started brewing myself um, because I was like, well, if I can make my own beer that I'll drink all the time, then I'll have more money to buy random special beers <laughs> that I can't make. This, yeah, is, this, was is, very, this my... is very true. We understand. Genius. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it was, um, it was a, a fun little project that I wasn't expecting I would fall in love with so much and also had no idea that I would become a professional brewer. For me, it was just uh, like I was really big in the beer, just like beer drinking and craft beer scene. Like I love going to beer events and trying all the weird and wonderful stuff and enjoying good beer and for me it was like well let's just try it and see if I can make something that I'll like to drink and then yeah I'll have more money to buy other things and I had no idea that it kind of sparked such a a passion and constantly trying to make new things and improve my kind of process and technique and understanding and science behind everything and yeah I had no idea that I was going to become a professional brewer. Were you working or studying in another field? And, and, and whereabouts in the world were you? I think that's probably the other bit that's worth throwing into your story. Yeah, so originally from the UK, um, been here in Melbourne for about nine years. So, and, and my background has always kind of been in travel. Um, I did a lot of travelling as a, as a youngster, um, travelled all around the world and trying different beers all around the world was awesome. Um, and then, yeah, moved to Melbourne back in 2013 and started to explore the, the craft beer scene here. But, yeah, always worked in, in travel because I love travelling and you'd get free trips um, and taken away. And that was always really nice perks. And then when the opportunity came to, to work in the brewing industry, I was like, sorry, I've got to do it. I've got to do it. And lucky because I joined about a year before the pandemic hits when mm. there was no more travel. <laughs> You'd figured that out very well. Mm, very yeah. lucky. Yeah. Um, do you remember your first craft beer, uh, Australian or otherwise? Yeah, no, I mean, what's your first full stop? And then maybe we'll, we'll talk about an Aussie one. Uh, first, I believe it was from Siren from the UK. Um, I believe it was one of their pale ales. Mm -hmm. um, but first in, and also in the UK, like there's so many great European, especially Belgian beers readily available. Cost next to nothing in the bottle shop because it's yep. so easy to import it over there. So yeah, kind of a little bit spoiled for choice for all of the, the Belgian beers going on there. Um, but first in Australia, it was, I think it was Little Creatures Pale. I'm pretty sure it was Little Creatures. Can, can I ask yeah. a question I even think... before we get to that, which is what was the first beer you had craft or otherwise in Australia? When oh, you got yeah. off the plane, did you go oh. and have a 4X oh. or a VB? 
this isn't being recorded or anything, so none of your <laughs> none of your brewing mates will ever know. It was. Um, I can remember because I we were in. I landed in the morning, and then <laughs> at lunchtime we were at the Bowls Club in Richmond um, for a now friend. It was her birthday. We we're at the Bowls Club, and it was. It might even have been Mountain Goat um, Steam Ale, actually. Oh, yeah. That's pretty. That's it. a pretty acceptable answer. I didn't yeah. realise Richmond Union Bowls Club, who I have a long-standing enmity with on the bowls green, uh, served such good beer, but there you go. Well, they might yeah. serve one since it's around the corner from <laughs> Mountain Goat. Yeah. So Little Creatures was then your step on to the, to the slightly less, to the slightly more crafty, and then was there like a microbrewery one that you had once and went, ah, this is my thing? Um, It was, I think, Little Creatures Pale and then um, the uh, Feral Hop Hog when that first came out. Um, Really enjoyed that one. Yeah. Um, And then, yeah, it just kind of stemmed from there and then started, did Gabs in 2014 and that really opened my eyes to all the great, breweries that that were around back then um and it's just yeah the scene has just exploded it's crazy in the, in the time that i've been here and like i'm pretty fortunate like a lot of my friends here they all really enjoyed craft beer and so they kind of helped to introduce me to to what's going on in the, the scene and so um i've been yeah very lucky very lucky with that but the, the scene just in the Nine years that I've been here has changed drastically. It's it's incredible. It's incredible. Um, do you remember any of the beers you had back at Gabs back in those days, or at least the breweries, or is that all just sort of lost in a certain kind of haze? Uh, I don't remember the 2014 one. No, I remember the uh, Lasser and Praline on that one. One gold. It might have been 15 or 16. Yeah, um, that sounds about but right. But I did, yeah, we just um, actually just moved house and when we were packing up all of our old stuff, I found all my old GABS um, program guides and I had 14 up to um, 21, but my wife made me throw them out because she said, you can't bring them with you. I was like, I'm, what? I know. <laughs> what? We don't want to get involved in something here, but yeah, that's, no. you know, Surely that's that's work related material. Yeah, <laughs> that that was my argument. But uh, yes, the the foot was put down. I was oh, say, I you, you do look like you're sitting in a very nice minimalist sort of you know house there. So hmm. it might be for the best. Yes, yes. She's like, we don't need this. Like, what do you need it for? I was like, well, for memories. Right? Yeah. So I can look back at it over time. Well, yeah. feel, no. f- feel free to say that you were asked tonight in the podcast, you know, your memories of the 2014 Gabs, uh, you know, lineup, and you had no information to refer to. And, mm, yeah, yeah. yeah. It could be really I'm, important I'm, to this moment. Yeah, I'm going to timestamp this bit of the podcast. I'm going to set it as her alarm clock. <laughs> You're a much that greater man badly. than anyone else. Yeah. That couldn't end badly. There's no way that couldn't end badly. I think on that note, we could probably, we should take a short break, uh, stretch our legs, use the bathroom, 
get the other beer, which is sitting in my fridge. Are you enjoying today's podcast? Well, if so, why not subscribe and rate and review us? It doesn't just make our egos feel good to see more subscribers coming in. It's exactly the kind of thing that breweries look at when they're making a decision about whether they want to come on the podcast, particularly when we're trying to convince breweries from outside of Australia to stay up late in the night to talk to us. So click subscribe and rate and review us. Thank you. Uh, James, so the triple eight Mandarin Sour is what we're up to. Um, and I've, I've had a couple of these just because my I've got I've I've got the heritage which this looks like it's aimed at and I thought screw it I need a sour and a mandarin sour really worked well. Are you um, a year of the tiger, Warren? No, I'm not. I'm 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 a horse. Oh, I'm, so I'm a tiger, so I'm all over this. Like a, are you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I too am a tiger. Oh, terrific. I'm. Is terrific. are you? I terrific. Is a heart. great tiger once. <laughs> I suspect you're 12 years apart, but let's let's move let's move on. Um, so yeah, fascinating beer. We've seen kind of that citrus with uh, eclipse hops combination a little bit. Um, did it take much experimenting to get the balance of this of the two? Did it take much work to to get these two to fit together? Uh, yeah, it did a little bit. Um, so yeah, like you say, like eclipse is very much kind of focus towards those big juicy IPAs and that those kind of beers um, because it does, yeah, add that note, but then also has background of, kind of like that slightly dank pine um, notes if you just used it in a, in a single hot beer. Um, but we found that um, the way we kind of blended it with our sour and so we used a, a whole bunch of mandarin juice as well. Um, the way we kind of blended it with with that, it actually enhanced the mandarin flavour and aroma, but the those kind of more West Coasty notes were more like very much lingering just slightly in the background, but enhancing the overall flavour rather than kind of fighting against it. Um, so that's it was a pretty fun experiment playing around with this one. Mm. Um, and this is the first year we've done it as a as a sour beer. So this is the fourth iteration of the Triple Eight, so our mm. Chinese New Year kind of special release. Um, first year was actually a saison, um, and we used uh, a little bit of mandarin juice and some mandarin and Bavaria, like a, a German hop, which has those notes, but then again a little bit more of that spicy, earthy note to it. Um, and then the previous two years have been mandarin kind of based pale ales so the first of those we used well probably about 100 kilos of mandarins that we got and peeled and juiced and um so we chucked the peels in our hot back and we ran the hot work over the peels into the fermenter and then we added the the juice into the fermenter itself um and then Last year, we probably had about the same amount, about 100 or 120 kilos of mandarins that we um, sliced up and freeze-dried. And then we added them into the whirlpool um, and to kind of yeah, extract a bit more of that kind of zesty, 
notes um, from that. And then again, a little bit of juice in the fermenter. And that was the first time we used Eclipse because um, that was kind of when it was still known as its experimental hop name, HBC yeah, something, four, something. Four, four, three, two or something weird. Um, and yeah, we really liked what Eclipse did to that. But then this year we decided let's go with the sour direction because um, we feel that yeah, mandarin, although it's not a, a sour fruit, it has some slightly sour notes to it alongside that kind of sweet juiciness. Um, so that combo of, uh, of sourness and sweet seemed to work, work pretty nicely. Hmm. And I've got to confess here that, you know, after 122 episodes, this is the first night I don't have the actual beers that we're discussing in front of me. But can I say the colour of the beers in everyone's glasses on the screen just looks mm. amazing. Um, can, you, can you talk us through sort of from colour to aroma to, to flavour? Yeah, so the, the colour we had a little bit of a play around with. And so we used, yeah, a lot of mandarin juice and we kind of wanted to enhance that. So we thickened up the body a little bit with some rolled oats to kind of help that colour kind of stay stay there and be a bit more kind of it looks kind of thick and juicy in the glass so it's kind of it's, I mean it's not as oat heavy as a, a hazy idea or anything like that but just enough to give it a little bit more body and a little bit more um, capacity for the, the the juice to hang on to um, and then yeah the aromas is very kind of very sweet breakfast orange juice basically it's kind of almost smells a little bit like a mimosa um so yeah very fresh and vibrant and then the the taste you kind of your first hit is very juicy and orangey and fresh uh and then as it slowly moves down the back and then your final kind of flavor that hits the back of your throat is a little bit of that pithiness um that you get from from juice imagine if you kind of just had a little bit of a bite of the the rind or the skin you get a little bit of that pithy finish which helps to dry out the beer because we don't want it to be super sweet and cloying at the end we want it to be a you know a nice drinking experience so that slight pithy dryness at the back helps to make it a much more rounded experience and that's actually nice to drink and it again leaves you wanting to have another little sip afterwards mm. um what uh so why why a Chinese New Year beer or a Lunar New Year beer, just to be a little bit more PC? Uh, we kind of just thought it would be fun, really. Um, no one else really does it. Um, and we were, we were looking to bring out a, a special release around that time anyway. And so we thought, well, it's going to fall into this period. Why not focus it on on that event um, and then we kind of dug around a little bit. Mandarin's a very prominent part of uh, the culture. And so we thought, well, we can make something with mandarins. Not many breweries do a mandarin um, as an additive in any of their beers. So let's, let's try it. We think it will work. We think we can make something pretty tasty and they kind of snowballed from there. So we, didn't envision it being a, an annual thing. Um, we thought it was going to be maybe just that that one time. Let's release it because the the dates kind of aligned with our 
our calendar. Mm -hmm. But it, yeah, it got really popular. And so like, well, I guess we've got to do it again. And it's like, from then, do we make the same beer every year or do we have different variations and different vintages of, of the beer itself? So we decided to, instead of making the same thing that's only available for a short amount of period once a year let's actually make it really special and do a do an evolving constantly changing beer but having mandarin kind of as our our hero that we that we showcase so, so there's no temptation that next year being the year of the rabbit that it's going to be lettuce or more importantly carrot which is close to my heart or rabbit <laughs> Yeah, well, that was the other option. <laughs> or rabbit. Uh, I guess, I mean, maybe we could chuck in a little bit of carrot if we want to uh, emphasize yeah. the color a little bit. Um, you wouldn't believe what you can sell carrots for. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, James would not get that joke, but... It, no, I know. Sometimes I just do jokes to amuse myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, pretty much, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll let you in later, James. It's not... It's... <laughs> Thank you. It's mildly embarrassing. <laughs> um, so yeah, with so so with the with um, so Chinese New Year moves around the calendar. Does that? I'm, I suspect you guys are really organised, and you guys have this this Dow pad. But does it does it do, do does that mean does that move you around and the and where you place this beer in your in your calendar? I mean, have you? Have it, yeah, is it is it something? If it's a really late one, did you will you lose the mandarin? Uh, yeah, so it does. Yeah, there's about like a three or four week kind of variation on when it falls. So we we basically plan it around when it actually is. So we'll we'll aim to always release the beer two weeks prior to the event, so that everybody's got time to to stock up, and get it for the, the celebration mm -hmm. um, before and and after. And so then, yeah, we basically got a tinker with our brewing schedule based on on the calendar has has this be got a run in the tap room and how did how did it go yeah people absolutely loved it um i think this year it was a it's been a little bit earlier this year than, than previous years so the weather's been super hot and then leaning into being a, a sour people have just been absolutely smashing pints of it because it it goes down pretty well in the beer garden Mm. Um, but yeah, we just kind of yeah got a got a tinker our brewing schedule around around when New Year actually happens. Which was a um, fun challenge. You mentioned before that that kind of listening to to what the what the bar team says uh, people are saying in the in the tap room guy has has a bit of an influence. Um, yeah, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Like how, what, in what way, or do you have an example of where, where you've heard something from the tap room and it's kind of really changed what you've done or, yeah, is it, is it, or is it more of a, a kind of a gradual little tweaking thing? So, yeah, it's generally more for kind of like our single keg and our, our special releases and getting kind of the, the feedback from that. So hmm. um, compared to the, the bicycle in the anytime where we have our pretty, devote followers that will come in and they will just sit there and they'll drink that all night and they they love that but it's more yeah the, the single cake stuff that it's more from a, from a personal and a professional kind of development and feedback point of view that you know if we 
if we put on something that is a little bit weird and a little bit out there, how is that perceived by the guys actually drinking it? Because, mm -hmm. you know, we might like or potentially like what we've created and I think some of the flavors might go go well, but in an actual pub setting environment, do people actually want to sit there and drink it? Um, so it's kind of, yeah, a little bit of that, that kind of feedback. And generally it's been very good. Um, a few of the, the single kegs we've done have then spawned on to uh, become our, our special releases based on how, one, how quickly the keg sells. That's always a really good indication if it's gone in one evening, then we know we're, we're onto a pretty good, uh, pretty good beer right there. Um, and we've got, uh, I think it's in one of your, your, your pack, the, the last tram to Brunswick. Yeah. Um, so that one again was, uh, a sister beer to the last train to Boston, which we released uh, about a year and a half ago. Um, as kind of like a little bit of a play on words because we were, I feel like, one of the, the last breweries to release a hazy IPA. Um, oh, that's good. Oh, I see lot. what you're doing there. That's <laughs> clever. Okay, yeah. Yeah, all right. Good call. All right. <laughs> so, yeah, the last um, round of runs. <laughs> yeah, and so that one was, again, just like a, you know, a single tank that we we put out. And people really loved it. They um, wanted wanted it to come back um but we yeah we're asking bar staff like you know what what did they like about it what didn't they like about it and so we kind of tweaked that within the feedback that we got from them but then also our personal preference on what we like to drink uh and then that's where the last tram to, to brunswick came from nice yeah um can, um, can, do you do you like put on a false nose and Groucho Marx type glasses with you know eyebrows and things and just go and sit up the back of the tap room from time to time and listen in to what people are saying or hmm. is it a little bit more of a formal process? Oh no, way more relaxed. I sit there. How disappointing! Yeah, in the full merch and listening to people's conversations, and <laughs> but then maybe it's a little bit more biased because they know. Yeah. And see me in all my temple gear, and they're like, oh, I better pretend this is a good beer. Um, I'm going to dive into our traditional cool room question. Uh, and yeah, this week, I'm quite, I'm quite interested in this as someone who's, who's kind of come from a different industry. Okay, so what is the most confronting, strange, amusing, weird thing that you've seen in a cool room and we've got, got what could we have quite a broad definition of cool room that could be any hospitality slash brewing environment but yeah what's the what's the oddest strangest weirdest uh i don't know horniest thing you've seen <laughs> in a cool room uh well so far i haven't seen any uh um, not safe for work practices in our cool room. Yeah. Um, good, good. But um, yeah, we'd expect have, that from people. <laughs> yeah, I have uh, been asked why uh, the beers aren't pouring from the tap before. Mm -hmm. um, and they're like, I don't know what's going on. There's, you know, there's gas going in. There's plenty of beer in the keg. What's going on? So 
um, gone into the core room and have had a little look at the keg. I'm like, yep, it's pretty obvious. So they've put the, the beer out in. on the gas in and the gas in on the beer out. Oh, yes. You're not going to get any players. beer that direction. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, and similar to, to beer going in and out of kegs, probably the, the funniest experience was when or a light note during lockdown was when we had to unfortunately dump a few cakes that were getting a little bit old. So we were hooking up the, the couplers to dump the cakes and turn them upside down over the drain. And someone that was draining them didn't realize they had locked or had left the, the ball valve open on the, the coupler. So when they engaged the cake, they got a nice, uh, nice face full of uh, nine month old beer. So that was, uh, that was mm. pretty fun. We do love we do love a spurting keg story around here. I've got to say, yes, yeah, it's always fun until you realise for the next two days you're going to be hosing down beer that patches that you never know that the beer went to. That's exactly right. I said it's bit, yeah. no one ever cleans the cool room roof until you have an incident like that. So, yeah. mm-hmm. you've touched there on COVID, and I guess just sort of interesting to sort of hear, you know how being back open again as a venue changes the vibe of the whole place, not just the bar where obviously it changes, but does it make a difference to the guys out in the, on the production floor to have the whole space open again? Absolutely. It feels amazing. Uh, I mean, part of, for me, obviously I really enjoy making and, and drinking beer, but also you get so much satisfaction from seeing people sitting and drinking and enjoying your product. Um, so to not have that, interaction um has been really yeah it was pretty tough um and so in our brewery we've got our main kind of downstairs bar we've got a huge giant glass window that looks into the brewery so you know we can see people sitting down and drinking beers and they can see us working and um it's been it was very strange not having that interaction or did you just go and work in your jocks or something is there any (laughs) sort of um sadly i was too scared of the pressure or hot water getting splashed in delicate places that i yeah i stuck to my my normal brew gear good man that's Um, the answer that's the answer you were told to give i know (laughs) um so yeah it's been really great and i mean we we were relatively lucky, like the the local community were, were great and like super supportive. And, you know, we obviously, as with every other brewery, we weren't producing as much as we, we normally were. So we kind of we did pivot to more of that kind of takeaway sale. So um, whatever kegs we had, we were encouraging people to come and bring their growlers and we'd fill them up at the bar. So we kind of slowly ticking through kegs there and us as brewers, because we weren't producing as much, we turned into brewers slash uh, delivery drivers. So anyone within a, when there was the restrictions within a 5K limit, we, you know, any orders in before three o'clock, we'd head off um, men and deliver them the same day kind of thing. So that was actually one of the nice feelings of lockdown was seeing people from all over the local area ordering our beers and seeing their kind of happy faces when um, we rocked up. to their door with some fresh beer so that was that was a good feeling but it it's it's way better now that we're open and we're we're making more beers and we're seeing people out there and and enjoying the product do you, do you reckon you've made any sort of new fans out there just by 
doing what you were doing during lockdown? There's now people that you see coming in for the first time to the brewery in the tap room going, I only know about you guys because what you did during COVID lockdown? Yeah, there's there's definitely been a few. And yeah, we I mean, yeah, we really promoted it. We we did like a lot of letter drops to to people. And um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of new faces um in the brewery, in the, in the tap room. And but then it's also great seeing all the old faces coming back in again. Um, and the fact that they haven't haven't had their heads turned by any of the other new breweries turning up, but uh but it's good to yeah, good to see, good to see yeah, everybody back, new and new and old. We've got time for a few questions uh, from the audience, and um, Mr. Muggs, I think you might be the uh, the first that we're going to let off the chain in that regard. So, if you'd like to unmute yourself and um, ask a question of James, thanks, brother. Thank you. Um, just a, we sort of touched on it earlier with the the labels, and there is a lot of um, very much transport themed labels and names of beers i'm just wondering where that sort of stems from uh well bicycles has always been around and i think that that kind of stems from yeah being in brunswick and the the, the bicycle and hipster and fixie kind of scene um we've got the, the velodrome up in brunswick as well and so there's a lot of cycling around there so that kind of stems from that um the last tram to boston uh, sorry the last train to boston um yeah we just yeah figured it was a funny play on words because we were yeah, one of the few ones to to make a to make a hazy ipa and was like right let's let's think of something where we can take the mickey out of ourselves a little bit and then the last tram was well let's it can be a kind of a, a sister to that beer but then also um Actually, let's play on the the Brunswick kind of side of things and make it a tram instead of a train. So yeah, that's kind of where the where those little transport um, points came came from. James, was it a conscious? Why were you guys the last ones to to make a hazy? Uh, yeah, it kind of surprises me a little bit. But yeah, why were you guys? Why did it take so long? I suppose uh, we had done a, a couple of. Um, single kegs at the bar but this was yeah like our first um first actual like proper release yeah so we we had done a yeah done a couple um but we were kind of even though we liked it a lot more um we were kind of a little bit unsure whether this was just going to be a passing trend um similar to the i don't know if you guys remember the brute ipa how that was going to be the the next big best ipa and it went away as quickly as it came um so we were like oh well maybe hazies will be like that even though we enjoyed drinking that kind of hazy style um before um actually like more than a than a brute we were like well is it gonna be a weird thing that we'll release and then no one's gonna want to buy it no one's gonna want to drink it so we were yeah a little bit slow in that regard um but us as brewers we we had played around with it um, and then we'd done, I think, two or three kegs um, behind our bar before we released the, the last train. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Mr Crofty, would you like to unmute 
we've uh, we've slightly adulterated your initial question, but off you go, brother. Yeah, um, I, I was I was actually uh, naturally. It's, it's been a little while since I've been actually out your way um, when I've been in Melbourne. So I was, I was wondering, I guess, uh, when when you knock off and you've you've had a couple of staffies and you feel like a different venue. Not that Temple's worth leaving because it's a great venue, but um, where 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 do you head off to? What's your what's your favourite drinking holes um, around that area or around Melbourne? Uh, I'm actually not allowed to drink anywhere else. I've only got a drink. Out <laughs> um, no, we've got a we're pretty lucky in Brunswick East uh, and Brunswick itself. We've got a lot of uh, lot of good venues around. So we've got the, the Ale House project that um, has a constantly evolving tap list, um, and then we've got kind of a bit more of a, a cocktaily vibe. We've got the Edies just around the corner. Um, and we've got the the Bee East as well, which is kind of like a craft beer burger bar, and they often have some pretty good uh, live music there as well. So they're all within a a two minute walking um, of our, our brewery. So generally, you don't have to walk too far. Um, otherwise, we'll be around kind of Collingwood area. Um, so kind of like here, yeah, Smith Street around. Um, near and far bar or beer mash with a slow beer, that kind of that kind of area. It's generally where I'll be uh, hanging out. Awesome, James. Look, mate, you've been very generous, not just with your time tonight, but with your knowledge and expertise. I know that people who are uh, in the home brewing scene are going to be so excited to hear about some of your thoughts about how you make the beers that you make. They're fantastic. I think it says a lot about the beers from Temple at the moment that we sold out of the tasting packs for tonight uh, well and truly very early. Um, while I'm in spruiking mode, just let people know that we have Buttons Brewery on on Sunday and we still have some tasting packs left for that. So grab them if you like. Uh, and that we have tasting packs for March up on the uh, website now. Uh, there's only five of those at the moment for non-subscribers. So thank you to everyone who subscribes. Uh, and they're going to include uh, 12 beers from Molly Rose. So Molly Rose is going to be on the show. Uh, there's going to be six beers from Fury and Son. And there's going to be six beers from Embolden from America, uh, who are very new to me. I don't know much about them at the moment. Um, um, but really looking forward to the experience of having them on the show. Plus, of course, outside of the normal tasting pack for March, uh, Nernia Ur are going to be on the show. We're going to have a special pack which will have at least 12 different beers from Norway in it. That's why it's not included in the regular pack, uh, and that's going to be one of those ones, a bit like last week with St. Bernardus, where you've, uh, <laughs> Mugs, you're putting me off with your excitement. I love the fact you're excited. If you don't have that pack, you're not going to get into the Zoom room with us. Um, we're making it a bit more exclusive and a bit more fun. As far as I know, I can only get 24, and by the time I've got one, 23 packs of that available. So it's going to be pretty amazing. Um, James, thank you for putting up with my spruiking then. Thank you again for tonight. Uh, you've been an awesome guest and so knowledgeable. It's been fantastic to have you on the show. It's been an absolute delight. Thank you very much for having me. And thank you, Warren Wu, for all of your expertise on a wide range of matters, including Year of the Horse, Year of the Rabbit, Year of the Goat. 
Thanks, thanks, David. Thanks, James. Uh, yeah, that was terrific. Thank you. It was um, yeah, good fun. Lots of lots of interesting stuff.